This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Aside from inventing ice cream, there isn't much more prestige and praise that you can gain than being on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, except when you're talking to the director of the entire Forbes 30 under 30 community herself, Jessica Wolf. As a native New Yorker, Jess was born and raised to hustle all day and all night. However, it was her passion for building communities that led to the success of her company, Vivian, and her role as the Global Director of Community for the Summit Series. I'm super excited to talk to this tour de force about how she harnessed her love of community to climb the ranks and how we can develop the resilience to keep moving on up. For those of you who haven't yet, Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, to your Facebook story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that we know that you're listening in. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Jessica Wolfe. Jess Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Love that. Cool. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all the amazing things you're doing, I knew I had to have you come on the show. And so I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, great. Look, for those of us who don't know who you are and, and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, I currently run um, Forbes 30 Under 30 Community. And what that means is I'm creating a offline and online platform for the individuals who have made the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. And so, ultimately, we as a Forbes brand are trying to add value to their personal and professional lives and ensure that they are sort of um, getting as much opportunity out of being part of the Forbes list as possible. I love that. And it's so funny because prior to, to being on air today, we were talking about um, Forbes and Forbes sitting under 30 in general. And I mean, I love the community. I'm not even really a part of it, but I've interviewed so many of you guys. And I think it's just so interesting to, to see what you guys are doing it and where you're taking it. So Look, I really want to dive more into your work, but before we do, Mm -hmm. I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up here in New York City uh, on the Upper West Side. 
And my entire family is still here, so a native New Yorker. And I, and I think that significantly impacted my life. I, I think, you know, New York City is the hub of commerce and, at, at this point, entrepreneurialism. And so uh, I grew up in a family of two entrepreneurs. Um, so I, I had a really uh, acute examples uh, to follow. And I think just um, the mentality here, it's, it's very much sort of a hustle, um, assertive, um, almost aggressive mentality, not negatively, but you know, you know the, uh, the idea of what New York stands for. And so I think that definitely affected my career um, and I think pushed me um, in a lot of um, unique directions that perhaps um, I wouldn't have explored if I had lived elsewhere. Mm. You'd probably say the same thing about anything. But mm. <laughs> I love that. And I think it's it's so interesting because even being in this city, I've been here for five days now and it, every time, you know, it's just the energy of the city and it, it really does feel like you're in New York, the way they, des- they describe it, you know, and I can't, can only imagine yourself growing up here and all the influence you would have had. So, you know, Obviously, you, you grew up with entrepreneurs as parents. Did you love to create things yourself as a child? Were you compelled to do so because of their influence? Or did that come a bit later? I think um, someone asked me this recently and they're like, did you start um, a company at like 10 years old? And I was like, no, um, I didn't. <laughs> I was a normal kid, guys. Yeah, was pretty normal. Um, but I think... What it was, it was a mindset, more that I knew that that was something I could pursue and was encouraged to pursue if I wanted. I think um, they presented me with this sort of um, vast array of opportunities, which I'm really grateful for, but demonstrated that you could go into a corporate or you could work for a startup or you could start your own startup. Um, And so I think while I wasn't necessarily entrepreneurial, I was very exposed to it. I love that. It's it's so interesting how, how that's the case. And I mean, often people think just because you've had parents who are entrepreneurs, you're diving straight into a business at five, you know, yeah. and it's, it's often sometimes not the case. Right. Okay. So that's really interesting. So heading into kind of your university days or, you know, high school even, you know, did you have any idea as to as to what you wanted to do, considering considering you had so many different influences, you lived in the city? Talk to us a little bit about that. So I always wanted to open a restaurant and to open hotels and restaurants, and that was kind of my lifelong dream. Um, and um, I, I worked as a waitress over my summers in high school and in, at Dartmouth in college. I um, was on the founding team of our first ever food truck, The Box. So we, we launched a food truck on campus, which to me was the greatest thing ever. Um, and um, post-college, you know, I was like, okay, I want to pursue my dreams of hospitality and being this hospitality maven in New York and um, quickly recognized that hospitality is um, not very glamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was willing to put in the hard work, of course, I I also recognized that perhaps um, starting at the really sort of uh, operationally hands-on focused roles that hospitality required in order to climb this ladder maybe wasn't the best use of my time and skills. So I figured I'd take a different path to hopefully eventually, um, you know, achieve the same end goal. Mm -hmm. I love that. So, So what was that different path you took? So I went to a college that is um, very focused on when you graduate, you go into consulting or banking. 
Um, and I'm now in business school, and it's actually the same mentality. I'm surrounded by bankers again. I was like, oh, no. No. <laughs> why? I'm like, why? Why did I do this to myself? No, they're great. Um, but um, I you know, was struggling to find perhaps what I could do that would fuel a passion and perhaps mm-hmm. where I could contribute because, frankly, finance wasn't a strong suit for me. Um, and so I started exploring sort of the startup world and coming to New York and meeting with founders and learning what they were working on, all sort of with a hospitality bent. And I, and I began the traditional sort of interview process of going to hotels and going to restaurants. And I was like, wow, this is tough. <laughs> of course. Um, and so I stumbled upon uh, Noya House, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but if you haven't visited, it's a true oasis in New York City. It's outrageously beautiful. And at the time, it was revolutionary. It was the first ever luxury co-working space, and it was membership-based. And what they had done was taken 75,000 square feet in New York City and created this ultra-luxury space in which to house your office, but also to build your network and your community. But it was hospitality-based, so it was all about sort of the member and making sure that they you know, had the most productive meeting of their life and were meeting people who would help excel their business and that they had the most delicious coffee and lunch with an investor and that this felt like their second home or now that term we use, the, their third space. Um, and so I was like, wow, this is encompassing my ultimate dreams of hospitality, but perhaps in just a different way than I had originally expected. Um, and so uh, they were like, "What can you do?" <laughs> I was like, "Not much," but <laughs> I was like, "Still a little bit handy." Yeah, yeah, I was like, "Yeah, I'll figure it out." Um, and so I joined the team really, really early on in like the, the very first few um, opening moments, and uh, yeah, that's how I, I started my career, somewhat in hospitality. <laughs> I find that fascinating. I think that. It's so interesting what we think we'll go out and do and what we actually end up doing. And I think that, I mean, so many of us, when you're talking about, you know, being surrounded by people who it's just kind of a linear path, it's either you just consulting or banking or whatever division it is, you know, and I think we can get sidetracked because of that. I mean, I I definitely did. I I went down the finance path and then thought, oh, no, this isn't for me, you know, and I think that so many of us millennials, you know, who, who are in kind of these more in, intense colleges or universities, we often have these uh, choices to make. We often get swayed. So I find it fascinating how you were able to just go, you know what, no, it is hospitality, and you ended up finding this this happy medium. So how long were you there for? You know, what was that your your greatest learning during that time? Mm. Um. I was there for two years. I think it fundamentally, of course, your first job is foundational. Um, I think it it was it was so um, it, it influenced me so greatly because I, I recognized yes I learned so many skills in the job itself, but I recognized so many opportunities from that job, um, and I would say that truly inspired my first startup. Um, and I think my biggest learning was that you know um, we. Th- traditionally think of sales as like I give you this you buy this or I'm attempting to sell this to you and it's like something tangible an exchange of some sorts um, and I recognize that you know you don't have to sell something tangible to make a sale and so what my role was essentially filling the office spaces it was like a traditional like real estate it was like 
rent this office and put your stuff in here and pay rent. That's it. Um, but um, of course, that wasn't the sales tactic. And I recognized that I was selling um, the promise of community and the promise of really thoughtful introductions and the promise of an expansive network and almost like a family. Um, and so I was selling something that is acutely intangible. And I recognized that that was more powerful than the, me telling them how many square feet they could get and how many desks and how much coffee they could drink in a day for free, you know. Um, and so I quickly recognized, like, the power of harnessing community as a driver for revenue. Um, and so that really influenced my view on the world. And I was like, okay, so, you know, we were considering banking and consulting because, of course, that, that brings in you know, a very safe and amazing salary which a lot of us aspire to have and I was like okay but there's an opportunity here to if that's your goal monetary success I mean you could do that for yourself and for your company through sort of a whole other route um and I I thought that you know at 22 it was like incredible incredible and and, and a really good learning opportunity mm. yeah so interesting I I love that I I find it fascinating looking at your like kind of where you progress from there and talking about that that point of community, it's kind of flowed throughout your whole career to date. So, I mean, I mean, your first business, Vivian, I mean, that my understanding of that is that it was based around community as well. Yes, I mean, talk to us a little bit about the, the idea for Vivian and those early challenges you faced kind of getting that company off the ground. Sure. Definitely a lot of challenges. <laughs> um, always of course. the first venture. Of course. So, um, like I mentioned, it, it really was inspired by the community I was building at Neuhaus. I have to give them credit for that. Um, but because I had recognized that community was selling these extremely high-priced offices, I mean, a seat at Neuhaus was $1,500 a month. So it was extremely expensive and people were paying this. Um, and I was like, okay, if this can apply to the workspace model, this can apply to other models too. And I started thinking, what's an antiquated model that could sort of use rejuvenation? And I was like, well, the traditional sort of real estate sales model where you go to an open house, walk through for five minutes, take a pamphlet, throw it in the trash and leave. Like That is such a strange um, approach to marketing and sales. Um, and I think now, you know, companies like Compass are really um, taking sort of a technological and data-driven approach to that, which is great. But five years ago, this wasn't really happening and it was kind of a stale industry. So I said, okay, I'm going to tackle this. Um, and so... I started going to open houses and talking to brokers and then trying to get into touch with developers and asking, you know, um, about what their marketing tactics were and what their sales tactics were. And I realized it was it was kind of um, rudimentary. And so um, I took what I learned from Neuhaus about community and, and decided, okay, I'm going to see how I can sort of reinvigorate their sales pipeline and their sort of marketing views using this same tactic. And so what I did um, was... I worked with developers and brokers to host experiences within residential and commercial spaces on the market that were ten, valued at $10 million or above, so ultra-luxury. Um, and I would host like social media influencers, um, brand influencers, and individuals who have a lot of clout and social pull in these spaces for experiences so that in about a few hours, at the conclusion of the night, we would have millions and millions of views on social. So your apartment or your commercial space was no longer you know, getting like a few 
people would via foot traffic mm-hmm. um, or a, a random appointment on Sunday, you you had reached millions. And um, it was uh, really exciting. <laughs> and so um, that's kind of the concept. And so on one hand, it was a sales tool for developers and brokers um, and like an innovative one at the time and kind of a sexy, exciting one. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it was to your point, very community driven. So it was invite only. Um, the individuals were highly curated. The experiences were very um, uh, in depth. So, for example, um, I hosted a uh, dinner disrupted, and it was a sensory immersion dinner. And you arrived, and um, you were given a pair of he- really cool headphones that you got to keep from a sponsor, and um, you're blindfolded and taken to a room and read, led through um, with all these like silk ribbons and so you didn't know like you're listening to this music and you're blindfolded and you didn't know all these things that were touching you it felt like water and when you took off your blindfold you were standing on the roof of one of the most iconic buildings in New York overlooking the skyline and your dinner then um, you had two scents next to your plate and based on the scent that you kind of liked your main dish correlated and then there was um sort of all these really cool brands that we brought in and and performance and experiences that really sort of went hand in hand with this overall theme so they were really like a special experience and something that influencers and individuals started to really covet and invite to um and so that was community and they knew when they arrived they'd had the chance to meet pretty um, interesting and smart and notable individuals. Mm-hmm. So um, it was twofold. It was sales and community, the marriage of that. Mm. I think that's the best combo, sales and community. It's, it's so interesting when you explain it. Obviously, I've read about what you've done, but it's it's just so cool that you just thought, you know what, I'm just going to find a way to innovate this and it's not been done before and, you know, then you ran and, and made it happen. I absolutely love that. So what was one of the earliest challenges you had trying to get this off the off the ground? Sure, yeah. I, I think at the time, um, it was a very new idea. Mm-hmm. And now, five years later, it's actually quite common. People will host in apartments and in spaces. And um, prior to that, it hadn't really been done or at least known that people were using spaces on the market um, just for their own events or as a means of sales, whatever it may be. And so convincing developers and brokers that I could support them in sort of their business initiatives by using this space was really difficult. I mean, there's so many risks. Like they're they trying to sell this multi-million dollar apartment and of course I would get insurance, but what if I broke something? Or what if um, they just let 100 people into their apartment and they got no press and no views and it was just a waste of time and now their apartment's a little bit dirty? <laughs> um, that's just, honestly, like that'd be really, frust- really frustrating <laughs> yeah. for someone who's trying to sell this. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also there's just risk. Like I was young, I was 22. People were like, who are you and why are you talking to us? <laughs> Literally, I'd be at parties. I'd be like, hi, <laughs> I have an idea. I want to share it with you. It's going to help your business. They're like, Literally, go away. <laughs> Um, so I think uh, just um, that initial, like, getting getting the door open. And it's so funny. I was I was in a taxi yesterday, and I was, like, watching, like, taxi TV, and there's um, an ad for um, Vicki Barron, who's one of the number one real estate brokers in New York City, and she just joined the Compass team, and it was such a good ad. And she was she was looking fantastic. And I just got so happy because Vicki Barron is the woman who gave me my first opportunity. Um, and I was – and she uh, – really took a gamble and I called her I cold call her cold her I cold called her and um, pitched her and she was like 
uh, all right, come meet me and we'll talk about it. Just that happened, she represents some of the most incredible buildings in New York City, um, which I knew calling her. Um, and uh, she really um, took a gamble and gave me a chance. So it was cool just to see how far she's come to. I was like, wow. Um, yeah. I love it. It's it's so interesting how it sometimes just takes one person to say yes and to, to go, you know what, I'll give you a go. You know, how do we get in the mindset of not getting discouraged when, especially when we're young, you know, we're trying to get our ideas off the ground. We, we know we want to do something like, you know, you I think you were 23 or 22 when you started. You know, how do we not get discouraged and keep going when we feel like we're getting nowhere? Mm. It's a good question. I um, I don't think that I personally have the answers, but I do think that a book that I, I really love and a speaker who I really admire, although she's much more than a speaker, but um, Angela Duckworth, Grit, um, and all speaks about how you can almost build your sense of resilience. Um, I don't know. I think having a really good support network helps. And I think that I know a lot of entrepreneurs say they, they face isolation and that makes complete sense because um, you're on this solo journey um, and it's very risky and scary. But I think back to this whole idea of community and probably why I'm so passionate about the Forbes 30 under 30 community and, and, and building that is that we are so much more powerful together. And if we can find individuals who understand our journey and can be even just sounding boards, um, I think that in itself is so encouraging and so helpful to um, like pushing through those tough times. Mm. Yeah. I love that. So look, let's dive into Forbes under 30. I mean, we were talking about this off air before, but I mean, it's huge. It's awesome. You've got Forbes Asia, which is obviously my end of town, (laughs) Forbes Europe, Forbes North America. We've been fortunate to interview so many of you amazing people from, from Forbes under 30. I'd say it's one of the most influential communities for young people in the world, you know, and you head it up. So talk to us a little bit about what you, what you think one of the main issues or, or struggles that you're trying to tackle right now with making Forbes Under 30 even better and more connected. Sure. So really good question. And that's exactly why I joined the team. Mm. Um, up until this point, Forbes Under 30 was... I think one of the most prestigious honors for young entrepreneurs and disruptors. Um, But we believed it could be so much more than just an honor, Mm -hmm. um, but rather a means of sort of um, adding value to the world on a a much larger scale. These are individuals who have the brain power and the collective brain power and ability to like really harness their, their smarts and their connections and their ability to, to impact the world in, in, in some major way and of course that's a larger end goal and we hope to get there but in the short term if we can you know first make sure that everyone's connected and supporting each other back to my other point of you know people need each other and if if we can leverage our resources as a major brand to do that um I mean, it, it fulfills, of course, our goal as being sort of this um, ultimate sort of platform for spreading like awareness and cap- of capitalism and business and entrepreneurship um, that supports the founders and turns. And what a hurdle, I'd say, I think, honestly, getting to this point was an enormous hurdle. Um, the list has been around for, you know, over eight years. And... Um, only recently have we decided as a company to pursue this community angle and really put dollars and investment in a team and thought behind ensuring that um, this is more than just sort of a status and, and it's actually um, 
hopefully <laughs> in the long run, like a family for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Do you need me to repeat anything? Okay, that makes sense. I I find that so I find that so interesting, and I think that I think that. In, even in the last couple of years, having these, um, I think the summits that you do across Asia, across the Americas, Europe, I think that's already such, as you said, like such a step forward mm. from what it was. What do you, you know, what do you, what do you think is the biggest challenge you have to tackle in order to continue to progress? So I think um, this is a tackle, or this is sorry. Uh, consideration for a lot of communities it's this idea of sustainability and scale and so we are global um we have individuals all over the world who have their own agendas and their own focuses and their own businesses and um manning managing to collectively bring everyone together um in a way in which forbes can almost um control the community but at the same time allow for sustainable growth without our control is is something that's really difficult something we're considering and so you know ultimately if you can have a self-sustaining community and if you can put the structure and sort of the community guidelines and the funding behind a platform that can help sustain and grow itself that's the ultimate goal but that is a really hard place to get to um i think you know uh, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, I think is the best example of this. What they've done is they have a global, global large global community, and it's chapter-based, and within each chapter there's forums that are groups of 10 advisors that uh, self-sustain. They organize, they have leadership within their forums, and then they sort of report to the larger chapter. And so YPO has set up these guidelines and this platform, but um, it's ultimately up to the members to keep it going. And we'd really like to get there. I think that that could be really powerful for us, but that is an enormous undertaking and uh, something that we are, you know, uh, really thinking about now. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I'm so excited to see what you do with the community in the years to come. And it's so exciting that, you know, it's it's your new challenge. It's your new position. It's a new position for you. It's a new challenge for you. And, I mean, you've worked so so much in community in the past. I mean, even at the summit with a global director of community there. And it's just so cool to see that you're just using this one thing that you learnt, which is the power of community, and then putting that together and, and now tackling Forbes Under 30. So amazing. So as we come to the close of today's episode, I, I just want to dive deep firstly into a question which I love to ask, which is what has been one of your greatest failures to date? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, there, was a, there was a point when I forgot um, that my ultimate goal was to build communities and I was falling too far towards the sales end and it's it's a it's a very fine line between you know um sort of that authentic and that um and pursuing like a really meaningful um gatherings and really meaningful connection with people and sales numbers and i think that um there was a moment when i was at summit and we were forgetting a sort of what our ultimate mission was, which was to catalyze entrepreneurship and to gather individuals to, to better themselves and to better the world. And I think we were like 
we're also a business and we need to hit these goals, but I don't think that they need to be one or the other. And I think they can be seamlessly married. And and so in that we we failed because our 2017 summit, our major summit, was not as good as it could have been. In fact, it, it was less than what we'd done in the past. And we were much better than that. But I think because we had deviated from our values and we focused strictly on numbers rather than sort of honestly the touchy-feely of of why we existed in the first place um the product we delivered reflected that and ultimately that's a vicious cycle because we are creating product for the people in our community who are paying us and so when we create something for our people that's not necessarily for our people um i mean it's it's a lose-lose <laughs> um so we learned the hard way all our sales had skyrocketed for this particular event you know that next year they most certainly did not mm-hmm. even though the event was much better than the next year because we stepped back and recognized that we needed to really remember our roots and really remember what we stood for because you know what's the saying that you know passion brings profit mm-hmm. um and i think I we needed to follow that mm-hmm. I love that. Oh, Jess, I'm so intrigued by everything you're doing and everything you've done. I mean, look, there's so many things I could list about you. Obviously, you yourself have been a Forbes under 30 listee. You're a Disruptor Foundation fellow. And most recently um, at Columbia, you've taken on the role as Woman in Business Chair. Um, as, you're, as you complete your MBA there, it's absolutely phenomenal to see. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Jess, for the awesome work you've done and that you're doing. I mean, you really are showing us the importance of community through your work and through what you do and showing us that as young entrepreneurs, as young leaders, we can take that on board and we can apply that to what we're trying to do to make ourselves bigger and better. So we really appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks <laughs> thanks for this. This was fun. Of course. <laughs> of course. So heading into our final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at The Peers Project, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? So I actually just learned at Columbia Business School that you need to create a values hierarchy. And what it is, it's eight values that stand for sort of your personal, professional, overall life. It's eight things that you care most about. And a few of mine were fulfillment, uh, family, community, love. And they seem kind of woo-woo and like not applicable to your career necessarily. But the idea is that um, you almost weigh everything against this these eight values. Whenever you're making a decision, you, you're like, okay, on a scale of one to 10 in family, this would bring me an eight. And this is how you make your decisions. And I think um, I've recognized, especially as I've been doing this exercise and all my decisions, that um, when I lean towards the things that I, I'm more passionate about and or, or even vice versa, when I... Um, and working towards things that encompass all of my values, I'm ultimately much happier and much more successful. Um, and so I think perhaps my, my answer is kind of roundabout. Perhaps it's, I would say, I don't know the ultimate values, but for me, uh, establishing my values and actually knowing what my values are and then being able to align my values with sort of my goals has been 
I suppose, the most impactful. Yeah. Oh, I love it, Jess. So well said. Amazing. That is the end of today's episode. We've had an absolute blast. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, well, you can, um, I recently took a break from social media, so can't follow me. Um, I might come back. When I come back, it's wolfing around, but um, follow Forbes under 30, uh, the Instagram. Um, we post a lot in there, as do I. Um, so um, you find a lot of info there. Love it. We'll link that up in the show notes. Amazing. And thanks so much, Jess, again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.